Northern Brewer is the proud sponsor of the Brewing Network's Jameel Show. They have the widest selection of domestic and imported malts and grain, hops from all over the world, and a full line of liquid and dry yeast. No matter what style of beer you're brewing, Northern Brewer has the ingredients you need, plus fast shipping and expert staff to help you make the best beer possible. Please visit northernbrewer.com for all things homebrew. is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew, ordinary homebrew. into award-winning beer. award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zanashef and John Plisse. I got my head checked. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Woohoo! <laughs> Here we are. It's, it's, it's our second to the last show. Second to last. Yeah. We're not there yet. No, no, no. So this is going to still be a quality show. Yeah. We're just going to start screwing up when it comes Very, to the last yeah. show. Professional so, all the way through. This one is still going to be really good. We have a, a, a guest that we're going to bring on. Ken Schramm, who's actually very knowledgeable in meads, nice. wrote probably the Bible of the mead maker. Okay. The complete That's mead good book. maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's an excellent book. I, I got a great story to tell you about that. But, uh, you know, we just had uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy Turkey Day. Yeah. Uh, good time. Just a few days ago, right? Yeah, yeah I'm so full. <laughs> you? You look yeah, like yeah, it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, oh, oh, thank you. I, I have been putting on a few pounds. Can that work? I, I think I, I think I took in you know ten pounds of food and passed at least you know a good eight pounder. Yeah, oh, you passed an eight pounder. <laughs> yeah. That burns. <laughs> I hate how I feel after I eat so much. You know, yeah. I just have like three or four tums, just to kind of like just hold on. <laughs> and you hold on to the chair yeah, like that. Like it's yeah, it's shaking. Oh, that kind of absolutely uh, grimace on your face. Grimace, yeah. <laughs> Describing things here for the the listeners. I'm giving you a visual here. Yeah. <laughs> so did you spend with your family and yeah, in-laws? Yeah. And- well, and uh, what's great was uh, uh, usually it's it's me, the kids, my wife, and my mother-in-law. And I cook like a 25-pound turkey, and I <laughs> watch a lot of TV. Meat. Yeah, watch TV. I watch my you know my football games. Yeah. I get my drink on privately. Absolutely. And, uh, privately. and then after we eat, I fall unconscious on the floor. And then what uh, happened to Dad? I sleep for like eight hours while everybody else cleans up. Perfect. And, and my wife drives my mother-in-law back home. Even, well, even This time, my sister and her uh, her boyfriend came up. Nice. And her boyfriend's this great guy named Ace. Okay. Ooh, <laughs> he's, he's, good name. He's, like, he's great. He's he's like, he's so fun, yeah. you know? And uh, Did he drink with you? Probably. Oh, yeah. I mean, this guy can put it away. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> you know, he was getting spoiled he, then. He'll, he'll do like, you know, five to my one. Oh, jeez. And, uh, you know, totally in control. And uh, so, and I've been brewing the last few months, been way too busy with work. So right. I went down, and I got a uh, a keg of Bear Republic Racer 5 Ooh. down at the BevMo. I'll hit you hard. You know? And uh, yeah, this is like 7% alcohol. Yeah. And, I, and I hooked that up so uh, he, he'd have plenty of beer to drink. And uh, he and I went to town on that, and uh, we played on, on the Wii. 
Oh, you played bowling? Did you bowl? Oh, yeah, yeah, a little bit of everything. Okay. Although, uh, you know, for for boxing, oh, yeah. uh, my one daughter, yeah. she can beat anybody. Oh, I don't wow. care who it is. She'd take them down. <laughs> awesome. You know, uh, and he's, he's like, well, I'm pretty good on, on the wee boxing. And she, you know, he got her down once, but After she that, pretty much won, yeah. you know. She, it, it, it took she adjusted around. a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 She's really good. <laughs> played weed, you play weed golf, too, and... Yeah, you drink the whole week. Golf's okay. Uh, no. no, but we put a pretty serious dent in it. Wow! And no. I'm I'm in the process of uh, getting rid of the rest of it, just you know, so I can return the cake. So his name was Ace. Ace. Yeah, awesome. Did he know he was drinking Ace quality beer? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's come up and had my beers before, yeah. and then uh, uh, you know the uh, the uh, cool thing was that uh, you know. He just enjoys good craft craft beer. Awesome. And uh, something like that, uh, you know, it's right up his alley. So, uh, he, so you got, he's got, got the brother's there. approval. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. But uh, uh, he's a lot of fun. We had a good, good old time. Nice. Beer, the Wii, some turkey. Football. Football. Family. Family. Yeah. Did all that stuff. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect uh, Thanksgiving for We're me. still riding that high right now, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come oh, yeah. Go. Going strong. <laughs> Bruce strong. Yeah. And you and the wife, you went over to the in-laws? or uh... Actually, we stayed here at my family's house. Yeah, and yeah. Um, her family came up and stayed. We had it together. First time. The, both all families the, got the All the in-laws together. All of them together. Oh, it was wow. great. Probably one of the best Thanksgiving I've had in the last 10 years. Really? And yeah. there was no fighting? No, no fighting. No bloodletting? It was seven hours of nonstop talking. Like, we were always just in the same room, all of us just engaging and talking. Well, that's was, what I it, love. It Seven was... hours of nonstop talking with the in-laws. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds, that sounds joyous. Yeah. It was fun. It was good. <laughs> well, her, her her family had, like, a leak in the refrigerator. So they have, like, $20,000 worth of repairs to do on their flooring. Oh, wow. and, yeah, and so they came up. Yeah, came usually up around here, here so. when somebody's talking about a leak in the refrigerator, <laughs> somebody peed in the refrigerator it, is, is what you mean. It has happened in here, I believe. So. <laughs> yeah. I can still smell it. <laughs> just is just like, uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's a good time. I think this Thanksgiving had a lot of more meaning to it, I think. Just what's going on in the world and economy and stuff. And, well, because now you got and family, family. And you know, your wife. Like, and, you know, yeah. yeah. You're starting your own family. Hell yeah. Eventually there will be a bunch of uh, little police running, running around. around. Love strong. <laughs> Love strong. Coming soon. <laughs> Love strong. Love strong. <laughs> Ooh, you got that nice little baritone okay. voice there. All right, all right, yeah, all right. Okay. Focus. So Professional. again, I, I wanted this this meat show to be a good one because we've got uh, a great uh, guest on the line here, Ken Schram. Ken, oh. you there? Yes, I am. There he is. All right, yeah. Ken is author of uh, Complete Mead Maker, right? That is true. Okay, and uh, uh, that book. Uh, all right, so I'm at the uh, NHC in, I think it was Orlando, and uh, this guy Kurt Stock wins Mead Maker of the Year. Oh yeah, him. right. Uh-huh. And I, I run into him and his wife in the airport, and a long time before our flights. And so we sit down, we're chatting, talking. I'm like, you know, hey, you know, how do you? What's your secret on the meads and all that? He says, well, you know. He says, I got a copy of Ken's book. Mm. And he says, I just followed what Ken said, and I won Mead Maker of the Year. There, wow. And I'm like, okay, I need a copy of this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great story. I, I heard that, too. And, and when I finally talked to Kurt, I said, man, Kurt, if this is true, you you got to, like, put that on Amazon for me. Right, right. <laughs> <There you> <laughs> yeah. And it is now. Yeah, it's, finally, right. finally, but, uh, yeah. Absolutely uh, true. 
<laughs> well, I, I'm I'm flattered. Uh, Kurt's Kurt's a, a, a modest guy though, and and uh, he doesn't take enough credit for his own skill. But I, but I think you know it's absolutely true. He you know he uh, read the book and followed what you were saying in the book, and that really made all the difference. And that's that's all he really needed. So I don't think he was applying anything other than probably good sanitation, ability to follow instructions. You know, uh, you know, read <laughs> the ability to read things like that. Yeah. And I, uh, I, he, he does make some spectacular meads. I, I, I had uh, the good fortune to uh, to judge the the uh, club only, the AHA club only, this this past uh, August in in Minneapolis with uh, the, both of the clubs from Minneapolis and St. Paul. And and uh, a trip to Kurt's basement is uh, not to be underestimated. <laughs> it's uh, it's a it's a great place to to while away an evening. Well, I think again, you know, the fundamentals that he's learned are all based on you know what he learned from your book. So that's a that's a great uh, tribute to your book. So anybody can contemplating making meads, just get uh, the book. You go ahead and get the book. Yeah. And I think you know, out of you, uh, many tens of thousands of listeners out there, you know, go out and buy this book and make yourself a, a couple of meads. I think you'll be surprised when I I think mead gets a bad rap oh, yeah. when it's not properly made. It ends up, you know, syrupy and, you know, just kind of nasty. And when it's made right, it's so drinkable and so... Wine-like. Yeah, so, yeah. and you, could, you can drink a lot of mead. Mm-hmm. You get in trouble if you drink a lot of mead, but you can, yeah, you you can, can. drink a lot of mead when it's really well made. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a, such an easy drinking, uh, you know, thing of beauty. Hmm. Hey, Ken, I'm curious, how long did it take you to, to uh, write this book? I mean, me, me uh, t- takes a fair amount of time to ferment. I mean, geez, all this research you had to do probably to write this book must have taken a while. It, it was in it was in progress for probably the better part of five years. Wow, um, it's been like the time. It, it happened in fits and starts. Um, we had had uh, originally I was going to write the book with a guy named uh, Dan McConnell, who is a, uh, a PhD microbiologist working in uh, in. Uh, uh, research for the University of Michigan, and he's a, a brilliant man, um, uh, too good at what he does to actually spend much time on his hobbies. Okay. And, and uh, so, so he uh, eventually uh, he said, Ken, why don't you just go ahead and finish the book? And, and I did. Um, I did it on my own. Uh, um, it's kind of a, a bit of a shame because he's, he's so brilliant and knows uh, the, the microbiology so well. Uh, but but uh, it, what we set out to do was to write a book that was going to become the new current reference text on mead. Um, there, there really wasn't a good, a good um, broad-based uh, sort of. Uh, well, I, I hate to use the term "bible" of mead making. No, it's um, true. Yeah. But but there were there were books from from England and books from from the, the book from Roger Morris on brewing mead and and then Wassail and Mazers of Mead which was the the book that uh, Charlie added uh, some to it was uh, essentially written by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Geyer um, and and none of them had a, a really comprehensive look at at the the subject of mead making and and covered um, all of the styles and and a lot of the 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 subcontext that needed to be explained to get people into uh, to making really high quality meads. So, 
Um, I spent a lot of time researching uh, the, the aspects of, of uh, especially fruit and spices, mm-hmm. uh, to help people understand how to make better melomels and methaglins. And, and in fact, in the course of, of writing the book, I was also learning to become uh, an orchardist and, and, uh, and learning to graft and, um, and ended up with uh, about 18 trees in my backyard and raspberries and currants and all kinds of other things that, that helped me to have a, a firsthand understanding of of which varieties of fruit were good and and uh, and how how much uh, of a contribution really high quality ingredients could make to a to a great meat. Wow! All right, so he's got a lot. He's got a lot to share. Off, yeah, off track here, but <laughs> all right. So if so, if you were to uh, plant fruit trees, yeah, in, mm-hmm. in support of mead making, what would you would you pick? Uh, the, your, what's your top three types of, of of fruit trees that you would plant? Well, I'm I'm in Michigan. And Michigan uh, grows some of the well. Michigan is, in fact, the largest tart cherry producer. And and uh, I, I did plant tart cherries. I, I supplemented uh, the trees that were here uh, with with more tart cherries. Um, I've also planted plums. I, I'm not I'm not as fond at this point of of making mead with my plums as I am of just eating them. Um, but um, I would say tart cherries. Uh, peaches would be good. Okay. Uh, pears are good. They're hard to deal with, um, and I'm, I don't have pears myself. I'm just not as huge of a pear fan. And, and apples is is one area where you can make uh, just a huge difference in in a in a sizer. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, in insiders, just just straight up ciders, uh, hard ciders and sweet ciders by 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 varietal selection. Um, so, so I would I would probably pick myself in 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 Michigan, plums. Or pardon me, peaches, tart cherries, and apples. Okay. Uh, is there a point? Pick. But but a, a lot of it's going to have to do if if this is if this is uh, uh, going out to folks all across North America. Yeah. The, the the most important thing to do is is to research what fruits grow extremely well in your area. Okay. And and then make your decision based on that because that's that's really what what I'm about right now is is picking out um, your opportunity to grow something of the highest possible quality in your region and and that's what you want in Mendocino that would be quality weed. in quality out <laughs> in Mendocino you know what you're growing there yeah exactly yeah the cousin yes right well you mentioned so cherries peaches and apples grow well in your regions. Um, Yes. What about, I mean, when you go out to your yard, when do you decide you're going to pick them based on the ripeness? I mean, I think that has to uh, probably has a pretty big flavor impact on your your mead blended with fruit, right? Is oh, it, absolutely, absolutely, and I and I do it by taste. It's uh, all you by can taste. Do it with refractometers, right? Uh, and and try and pick based on sugar contents, and you can also do assessments of uh, of acidity. But after a while. Um, there's there's no substitute for knowing exactly what it's supposed to taste like when it's going to be ready, and I I've had about uh, ten years of experience with that now, and I, I I essentially just go out and taste until they're right. Um, there's a lot of there are a lot of visual cues uh, for the various fruits, but um, much of it comes from from tasting. 
Let your taste buds lead you. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the styles of mead. Uh, you know, I guess there's traditional mead. There's uh, piment. There's uh, methaglin. There's melamel. And, and, and we're going to cover those today. John, why don't you give us a, you know, a, a quick rundown on, on the, the mead styles. Kind of give us a quick description. Okay. Well, I'll make it pretty quick. I mean, there's a lot here to cover. Uh, definitely reference the BJCP.org site, I mean, to really go into more depth here on all the different types of aspects of mead. Uh, a dry mead, definitely, we'll start there. It's very subtle in honey aroma. Um, doesn't, it's not always identifiable, like the actual honey flavor, and there's some sweetness, but it's relatively dry. Uh, one thing to keep in mind with most meads is there's definitely like three ranges when you submit them into competitions. There's hydromel, there's standard, and there's sac. Um, Hydromel is the lightest, standard is the medium, sacks the highest in alcohol. Uh, secondly, there's semi-sweet mead, you know, like it says, semi-sweet, you know, definitely some more sweetness coming across, um, slightly dry, but definitely some lingering sweetness there from the honey. Uh, there's also sweet mead, which tends to be obviously sweet, um, usually expresses a lot more of the honey character coming through. You should definitely get the honey varietal coming through on the flavor and in the aromas, um, in regards, there's also a sizer, which is actually a blend of cider and honey. Um, interesting, and I think this will be fun to talk about later. Uh, we're trying to kill. <laughs> this is fun. Uh, it tends to have. You can use either three of the mead ranges. You know, the standard, the semi, or the over-the-top um, sweet meads, and blend them with a the cider back, or you can ferment them together. Um, that's one idea. Uh, piment is honey and wine grapes. You can use either white grapes like a Gorstaminer or a Sauvignon Blanc. You can even use red wine grapes if you wanted to. Um, but really, I think what's interesting about all these types of flavors and with meat and blending them with other, like cider or fruit, is there's so many options here. And you, there are really no rules. I think the trick is, overall, it's just making a very balanced beverage and that is sweetness, acidity, alcohol, and having the honey flavor be balanced, I think, is the most important thing to shoot for. And that is all proper fermentation and sanitation, which we'll get into later. So, and Ken, do you have any any uh, tips to add about uh, kind of defining what, what uh, the mead styles are all about? Well, the one comment I'll make um, is that uh, the term dry has, has a, a, a broad... Uh, variety of interpretations across the different sort of beverage alcohol um, sectors, and in in beer, dry is is pretty much associated with a lack of sugar, um, whereas in wine it can both be a lack of sugar and and also uh, considerable tannin content. Uh, so it's it's a combination of of alcohol and and acidity and astringency. So. Um, Dry is one of those terms that, uh, um, in, in, for the most part, in, in meat has been associated with with um, things that are fermented completely, attenuated completely. Right. Um, but there are there are other ways to interpret that as well. Hmm. Um, but but uh, I mean, you, you've covered it. You've done done a nice job covering it. Um, I would definitely encourage. I, I think that I think the accurate thing you've really said is that. Um, it is a Katie bar the door situation. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't, a, especially in terms of judging and in, tr- and in terms of trying to um, make meads. You don't have as much uh, opportunity to try and, for example, clone things. Um, I'm, right now, I'm, in fact, I've got a, a, a Bell's Two Hearted on the table in front of me, and 
and that is a that is a beer that you can you can go ahead and and really try to to nail in terms of profile. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's not as easy to do with with meads, and it's it's almost not as much of a of a, a a target to desire because there's so many opportunities out there for you to do different things. Um, so so it's uh, it's it's really uh, an area in which. Uh, long-standing um, commercial examples, for example, uh, are, are limited almost to the to the few uh, Polish meads that have been created and and have remained unchanged for for a few decades. Other than that, there aren't really things like classic pills styles or or um, doppelbox that that have remained essentially uh, a, a stable target for decades. Right, it's a good point. I mean, there's really no de- definitive style yet. There's a, there's a range, mm-hmm. but there's no style. Sure, okay. in, in in Piment, for example, and I, I hate to I hate to pick on the commercial guys, but I'm I'm a I'm a real uh, wine lover as well as being a, a meat and beer lover, and and um, as yet, I don't think anyone has crafted a Piment that really um, reaches the heights of of uh, expression of grapes and uh, of typicity uh, that you can see in in even very good commercial examples uh, that like the, for example the redstone pinot noir um, is is a is a, a piment that has some definitively pinot noir characteristics but it, it is not it is not something that would be as as uh Enjoyably, definitively Pinot Noir as even say a fifteen or twenty dollar bottle from from Oregon, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of room right now for for perfection and improvement in those in those styles, and that's the one great thing about meat is that there's so much um, right now that can be developed and and pretty much even l- laid out as as the new target by by home meat makers. Uh, amateurs have the opportunity now, uh, really, pretty much have in the United States, uh, created a lot of the uh, the new standards, and uh, then they then they get um, pushed into the commercial sector from from the home meat makers. All right, so we're going to take a, a short break, and when we come back, uh, I want to get into. Um uh, the ingredients that make a, a great mead and, uh, you know, how simple it is to make to make great mead. Back after this. Okay, so my double IPA has an ABV of 7.5 and a clarity of brilliant. So that's a plus 8. I pour it. Sorry. Looks like she found it unpalatable. Ha! Shut up, Doug. My creek gets a plus 10 versus girls because it's a fruit beer. You can't open the bottle and she walks over to the guy with the Pinot Grigio. This sucks. Ugh, I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. What's this? Non-Alcoholics Anonymous? Dude, get out of here. We're in the middle of a brew session. Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really uh, use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Have you ever been called upon to explain why it's named India Pale Ale? Do you burp Y Yeast 3522 and crap Cascade? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs. Ingredients, equipment, and knowledge 24 hours a day at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the Tongue Splitter. I've got dry hops stuck in my braces. And the burp. And barrel porter. Now on tap in the Mose Eisley Cantina. Make tenth level at northernbrewer.com. 
Charnasol, the brewmaster and co-founder of the 21st Amendment Brewery and Restaurant in San Francisco. Talking meads with uh, famous author Ken Tram of the Complete Mead Maker. I think the the Bible of mead making. If if you if you're yeah, interested at all in making mead, which you should be, because when it's done right, it's spectacular. Uh, you want to pick yourself up a copy of this book, and that's pretty much everything you need to know about mead making. It could make you uh, mead maker of the year, it like could. Kurt Stock. <laughs> He's, Get one from the Northern Brewer. Yeah, go to Northern Brewer, our sponsor, uh, northernbrewer.com. Uh, they have uh, great prices, great selection, great customer service, uh, cheap shipping, and they sell uh, this uh, excellent yeah. book, uh, The Complete Mean Maker. Who loves Ken Schramm? This guy right here. <laughs> yeah, this guy running the Brewing Network right here loves Ken Schramm. <laughs> yeah, I just want to point that out right now. Yeah. Lots of love. <laughs> Mentioning our sponsor. Because <laughs> we that drink here before the show, you know, by the time the show's running, we, we can't remember yeah, anything. Okay. Yeah. So, Ken, uh, tell us... Uh, uh, so. I kind of get the impression from reading your book and, uh, you know, just hanging out with other mead makers in general that ingredients play a huge role in the quality of the mead and making good mead. Is that true? Sure. I'm, I'm going to kind of tie that in with the whole easy comment that you made earlier, actually. Um, it, it, it is. It can be extremely easy to make mead. Um, if, if, you, if you're using a no-heat method and you're just going ahead and, and uh, essentially uh, – Mixing up the ingredients and pitching the yeast, then then that can be uh, quite quite simple. <laughs> um, but the other half of that then is is that you really need to spend a lot of time uh, sourcing your ingredients. Uh, mm-hmm. The the quality of your finished mead can never be better than the quality of the ingredients that you begin with. True that. Uh, and. and um, the thing that's the thing that's markedly different between mead making and brewing is that the the roadmap to great mead hasn't been laid out like it has for brewers. Um, uh, the um, I'm going to go off a little bit on honey here, hmm. and, and and the parallel in 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 beer is malt. Sure. In in brewing. Yes. To get good malt, we really only have to call the Northern Brewer or or, or, or any of your your local homebrew shops, and and they will pretty much uh, guide you to 
tremendous varieties of of malted barley um, and and the same unfortunately cannot be said for honey um, that, that some of the homebrew shops have got good selections of honey but but there's an inclination on people's part to just go ahead and and uh, head down to Sam's Club and grab the honey off the shelf there, and boy, that'll be great. Yeah. And and um, that attitude can get you in a lot of trouble. Sure. Uh, you, you brewers would never take that same approach. There, are, you know, something what is it? What about a quarter of the barley that's grown in the United States end up, ends up as malted barley? So so three quarters of the stuff really isn't set up to be used in beer, and and. Brewers would never take that same cavalier approach. They wouldn't go out and buy, you know, what essentially amounts to feed barley and expect to make extraordinary <laughs> quality beer with sure, it. Right. Um, but this, but that, but that peril faces mead makers if they if they think, well, you know, I'll just go and and get the whatever honey. And <laughs> what, what you end up with is is um, mead that really doesn't stand the, the test of the table if it's in competition. So what you really start uh, you need to do to begin with is to educate yourself a little bit about honey. Um, unlike unlike brewing, uh, the, the the education's sort of got to happen on your palate. Right. And there are there are good ways going out to Honey Locator, for example, which is uh, the national home or pardon me the national honey boards um, uh, honey supplier sourcing directory on the web, honeylocator.com, and you can go out there. And what I would recommend for people is to is to uh, acquire small quantities of honey, and and then start to assess those honeys based on the qualities that they want to have end up in their finished mead. And um, are, are they doing will, that by taste? Rapidly, you can do that by taste. Okay. And another, I mean, a real, a real critical factor is you. Most of it will be told in the aroma. Huh. If the character of the aroma is not something that you really think you're going to love, then then uh, don't bother with it. Um, so a company, and, and, can I ask you this, a company like HoneyLocator.com, do they source out, like, regions of quality apiaries that actually grow these honeys? Based honey on- Locator is actually, Honey Locator is a, a non-profit um, service provided by the National Honey Board. And the National Honey Board uh, really essentially supports beekeepers and honey producers across the country. What Honey Locator allows you to do is to go out and say, I'd, I'd like to get myself some basswood honey, and then uh, select from a pull-down menu on their site basswood, and then they will tell you where you can locate that honey in, either in your area or where you can buy it in various quantities. There are some there are some honeys that we know pretty much uniformly produce good to very good meads. Um, orange blossom, raspberry blossom, tupelo, uh, and these these are honeys that you'll you'll see just creeping up and recurring uh, regularly in in the the winter circle of of every of the top three uh, HC. Okay. Right. Okay. But but uh, beyond that, to expand out into the to, to the different honeys that you can you can really um, work with and that and that do create good mead, you, you've got to do some experimentation. But you've also got to familiarize yourself with the honey mm-hmm. to know if if that's something that you're going to enjoy. Um, buckwheat, for example, is a honey that can make meads that some people enjoy immensely and other people don't like at all. Right. And um, best to find out by buying a. a a pound of it, if that's a flavor that you enjoy and an aroma that you enjoy, um, instead of buying 18 pounds of it and making a mead that you then are displeased with. Okay. Well, well, the, so just going out and, and uh, 
and, and finding the uh, the honeys that that really suit your fancy. Okay. Um, and one of the things that I that I did when I got started was was to dilute them. Um, it, it's not a, a fermented um, picture that you get, but when you dilute it down, say say three to one, mm-hmm. three parts water to one part honey, that'll give you a handle on what the at least the starting must is. And you can, as brewers, we're all pretty familiar with with tasting our our uh, wort, yeah. our wort mm-hmm. before it's fermented to get a handle on what we're you know if we're headed in the right direction. And uh, that's that's a, a technique that I've done many times. And like I said, it's it's uh, best to find out at the cost of one pound that that's not such a good idea. Well, can cool you found? Let's say I'm a meat maker, first time meat maker. I found this honey mm-hmm. I like. I'm happy with the aroma. Um, I diluted it down, like you said, three to one. I'm happy with the taste. But one yep. question I deal with a lot of customers and other meat makers is. Where do you? How do you dilute it? What's the temperature range? I mean, is it 100 to 110? Is it above 150? Are you pasteurizing I, it? I'm I'm a no heat guy at this point. Are you that's, really? That's Why is that? The, the one the one if, if I, I can't I can't claim any uh, any personal um, authorship for the, the the nutrient thing that that, that research was all done by Morrison Steinkraus. But the one thing that I think I, I I will sort of lay claim to is that I was. Uh, I was the first person that I knew that said, "I'm just going to make some without without heating it, without using sulfites, without doing anything." And, um, and when, I, when I oh, it worked fine. Wow. And I, to this day, I mean, I haven't made I haven't made a sulfited or heated mead now in ten years. Wow. Um, and and the the thing that I do um, when when I go to start the dilution of the honey, I I, I uh, frequently will sanitize two. Two plastic fermenters, or a plastic fermenter and a glass fermenter, and, and in the plastic, in, in a plastic fermenter, I will measure out the amount of honey that I want to use in my finished batch, and I will add a small amount of water to it, and I'll beat on it with an electric mixer <laughs> until it becomes fully dissolved. And even if the even if the honey is crystallized, you will you will eventually, and it'll only take four or five minutes. I want to you know compared to, to beer brewing processes, like I said, even. Even the most even the most uh, arduous of these tasks is brief by comparison. So um, uh, you, you just beat on it with a with a, a KitchenAid or you know whatever, whatever right. you got uh, uh, kitchen blender. Sanitize your your beaters and and crank away on it, and you can be completely done with that process in in five six maybe ten minutes at most. And now you've got a really aerated start. To what you're going to end up um, completely um, diluting up to your your total volume. Well, that's interesting too that you bring up is um, is there a lack of nutrients that is that exi- that does not exist in honey? I should say is that like as a meat maker, should you oh. add nutrients to it to actually yeah, have a proper ferment? Yeah, uh, meat musts are nutrient deserts. Um, really, uh, I, I did a little. Um, measuring, or I, I didn't do it, but I, I sent it to the New York uh, Ag Experiment Station and had their wine lab do some some analysis of some musts that I put together, and none of them got over 25 parts per million of uh, uh, of available nitrogen. Wow! So, you, you, and and to try and ferment something that's going to end up at 12 and a half, 13 percent alcohol, you should really be starting at at 300, 325, 350 
uh, parts per million of available nitrogen. Okay. So yeah, you're you're in a you're in a nutrient um, a massively nutrient deficient condition. And as well, the same is true with the other uh, various micronutrients that are needed for really healthy fermentations. Most notably, biotin. Um, <laughs> Potassium is one that can be determinant of, of really good yeast health, um, and it it's not a lock that you'll be potassium deficient because some honeys have very high potassium levels in them, buckwheat, for example. And the darker the honey, the greater the chance you will be closer to the potassium level that you're looking for. But if your honey would would be, you know, to your own mind's eye, would be lighter in color than, say, a pale ale, the chances are you, you're going to be low in potassium, you're going to be low in manganese, magnesium, um, just just a whole a whole panoply of well, essentially all the same vitamins that all the living creatures need to go through um, all of the various um, Krebs cycles and EMP cycles that they use to, to metabolize um, their, their food sources. And the same thing is true with, um, especially true with yeast during its reproductive phase. It needs to grow. It needs a lot of nitrogen, and it le- generally needs it in those, those uh, free amino nitrogen forms to be able to synthesize the cell walls that it needs to reproduce. Right. So it's critically important to have um, a high, uh, to, to, to reach the high levels of, of nutri- nutrient and especially nitrogen that you need to get that yeast off to a good start. Well, the nutrient um, you're probably sorry, the nutrient you're talking about is like Fermate K or DAP, right? Right, Dime right. Okay. DAP provides the nitrogen, and Fermate K provides the micronutrients. Okay, and and um, that's the 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 lack of of nitrogen is probably the single greatest cause of that. Uh, Kind of a dry cleaner fluid like mead that we all had so many bottles of. Well, I don't know how uh, back in the 80s and 90s when um, there wasn't as much understanding of of uh, yeast nutrition and and uh, and really healthy fermentation. Okay. Um, well, I mean, obviously nitrogen is important. So is oxygen for yeast cell growth and health and yep. you know proper fermentation. Yep. What about choosing an appropriate yeast based on the honey that you chose? I mean, that that is a great question, and and that's that's an area where uh, yeast is it. Uh, pardon me, yeast where, where mead is at a disadvantage with respect to the other beverages. Um, there has never been a, as much um, money thrown at the research that would be required to do sort of massive matrix um, experimentation to get to that kind of knowledge. Uh-huh. It would be tremendously valuable if somebody would take. Um, 20 different really high-quality honeys and then ferment them in a grid against 25 or 30 really high-quality yeasts. Um, that that level of experimentation is the kind of thing that, that happens in the wine world and in the beer world because they have the resources at hand to do those kinds of experiments. Um, but nobody in the yeast, uh, pardon me, nobody in the mead world has had the money to do those kinds of yeast um, experiments yet. But, your- but yes... Does your book cover that at all, like that type of stuff that you're talking about? Um, it, it does cover, and, and, and in fact, Dan and I did Dan and I did an experiment. It was one of the things that sort of got us off the off the ground and, and brought us to the attention of Charlie and various other people, Byron Birch and whatnot. Uh, we we did we did a um, a cross pollination of six different meads with the same yeast, and then six different yeasts with the same honey. Hmm. 
That probably um, blew your hair back a little bit, huh? Six, six different, six different honeys with the same yeast. Six different yeasts with the same honey. There we go. Okay. Okay. Um, but um, uh, it, it allowed us to see the difference between the various honeys when they were fermented out, sure. and then to see the the uh, the expression of the different uh, yeasts on the same honey. Right. Um, it was. It was. Uh, and then we presented that all at uh, the ninety. I want to say ninety four. Um, NHC it was in Denver. Okay. Um, that was that was a <laughs> that was a spectacular day. We we took thirteen kegs of mead Whoa. out and, and uh, were you hung over? <laughs> uh, we we weren't because we were talking, but everyone that was drinking while we were talking. Oh, yeah. That's a lot <laughs> uh, of wow. <laughs> yeah, they 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 um, moved in a different fashion after our presentation. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's a tremendous need for that. The, the the more of that that can go on and the better it can be documented and, and as I said, presented in front of large groups of people who can then uh, do the analysis themselves and, and uh, figure out what they like, uh, right. the better it will be. Well, and speaking of, uh, of what we like, so I've had the pleasure of tasting uh, Byron Birch's meads uh, several times in competition. I didn't know at the at the time. But uh, later on, found out that that mead I thought was just so inc- incredibly well balanced and so drinkable and su- such delicate character expressed in so many different ways was always Byron's meads, and he may yeah, not have he, always won, but he, you know, what's what's that guy doing? That you know, what what mental focus does he have that allows him to develop these things that are really just out of this world? Well. Byron goes the extra mile to acquire really good ingredients. He he understands, uh, and, and his meats are great. I, I have to I have to agree with you. Every time I've encountered a Byron Birch mead in a in a competition, or when he's poured one for me uh, on the floor of the NHC uh, or or at the conference, uh, it's it's been uh, a really spectacular experience. And um, Byron's got that that uh, wonderful balance between um, being a technician. And, and being a culinary artist, um, he understands the the selection of really good ingredients, and then he's got a knack for figuring out. Um, uh, well, one of the best meads of his I've ever had was a raspberry mead, and he's got a knack for figuring out which honey variety is going to come across and balance itself with with this fruit. And how much of the two ingredients do I have to play against each other so that they're complementary as opposed to being at war with each other? Well, and, that, and is he also that, that kind of, oh, is he also ahead. balancing with like you know acid blend or tannin or you know any of that stuff? Is he, he may is do he a little bit of tinkering in? after his fermentations, but I, I my impression of what I've experienced through Byron is that a, a lot of that comes from experience. Um, and, and the, the same thing will be true of, of lots of folks in the in the in the amateur world as they get familiar with um, their, their sets of ingredients and their process. Um, they'll learn how how much the acidity in in raspberries and how much acidity from how many raspberries um, will counterbalance how much sweetness from their honey. That that and that, that's one of uh, that's one of Kurt's um, real strengths 
is understanding, for example, that if you're going to use uh, just a ton of black currants, that that it's going to require a tremendous amount of, of honey and and sweetness to back that up and provide the balance. And that is, it, like I said, it's part measurement, but it's also part intuition and experience. Hmm. Um, and it's it's um, it's something that actually I think goes into a lot of winemaking. Absolutely, it's, it's a part of the it's a part of the 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 craft that bears more more resemblance to winemaking than it does to the sort of the technical aspect of brewing. Mm-hmm. But it's more manly than winemaking, I think. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, let, let's take a, a short break, and when we get back, uh, Ken, I'd like you to give us a uh, you know a, a, a basic recipe that uh, the listeners can start with and uh, you know have success at making a making a great mead. Back after this. Okay, I rolled a 15, and I get a plus two from my yeast starter. Nope, sorry, you failed your roll. Your beer is infected. No way. You had to be to 24. It's schizosaccharomyces. This sucks. I just failed versus oxidation. Our party is fracked. Doug's the only one left, and his beer is a Berliner Weiss. What's this? A tea party? Hey, this is a brew session, man. Get lost. Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really uh, use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Does your significant other know the difference between an Irish red ale and a Flanders red ale? Do you burp, strizzle, spalt, and fart Yeast 2308? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs, ingredients, equipment, and knowledge 24 hours a day at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the socially awkward Patters beer and the sci-fi convention showstopper number eight make 10th level at northernbrewer.com what have you gotten out of a vial of white labs yeast wlp 001 cal ale baby 23 burton ale 008 east coast ale cal common wlp 810 it's gonna be wlp 400 with beer i got a sweet hoodie for my vial huh White Labs, your source for great brewer's yeast, would like to invite all homebrewers to join the White Labs Customer Club. Redeem your empty vials for great White Labs merchandise and products. Free yeast, glassware, t-shirts, baseball caps, sweatshirts, polo shirts, and you won't believe what you'll get for 5,000 vials. Members also receive a newsletter packed with White Labs updates and facts, interviews with professional brewers, brew-your-own-clone recipes, beercook.com recipes, and customer club stories. The White Labs Customer Club. Save your vials and get in the club. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Live. Beer Radio. The Brewing Network. The Brewcasters. If you're just starting, don't be discouraged by all this stuff. It's exactly. so easy. Just throw it yeah. together. You Put some sugar and some water and some yeast in there. Yeah. Beer. <laughs> Network. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of their 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Their Williams German Pills is mashed with pure German Moravian two-row barley malt for a light blonde color and malty crispness you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out their unique fermenters, draft beer 
beer equipment, bottling aids, and more. They even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection and enter promo code BREW at the order checkout for $5 off your next order over $50. Orders placed by 3 p.m. ship the same day. Again, go to williamsbrewing.com and enter promo code BREW at checkout for $5 off your next order. Brewing is easy the Williams way. This is the Jameel Show. So freaking lively in in the studio in, uh, during the breaks. Da-da-da. Beer refreshing, <laughs> nipple grabbing, and all that stuff. Fly swatting, fly swatting, <laughs> fly zipping. Yes. Oh, sorry. That's coming back. Back break. Okay. We're we're here with uh, Ken Shram, talking meads, and Ken is one of the most most knowledgeable guys about mead. Wrote the Bible, uh, complete mead maker, and. Uh, Ken, you're going to give us a kind of a, a recipe and a step by step, so somebody can can go from never making a mead in their lives to making something that's actually quite a good mead, right? Sure, sure. Let's let's walk it through. Um, we're going to start with the sanitized um, plastic fermenter, seven and a half gallon, like you would use for a five gallon batch of beer. And then at the bottom of that, we're going to put uh, let's put twenty pounds of of uh, orange blossom honey we're going to do an orange blossom vanilla mead here um, and this will be this will be something that will be um, on the sweeter side and and uh, uh, this will this will this will go over extremely well with uh, with your wife that's important um, I'm sorry that's very important very important happy happy uh, wa- happy wife happy life right Exactly. Okay. So we're going to take that 20 pounds, and we're going to add uh, a little less than a gallon of water. And uh, with the sanitized, with the, our sanitized kitchen mixer, we're going to just beat the snot out of it until that until that's come to a uniform mixture. It's going to take about five minutes. And, and um, um, once we've got that done, then let's go ahead and make a starter. And uh, we're going to use dry yeast. We're going to use uh, Lalamon's uh, 71B-1122. Lalvan, which is their uh, their uh, home uh, brewing, home mead making uh, brand. Uh, we're going to use 15 grams of it, and we're going to use about 20 grams of their Go Firm um, yeast uh, hydrating additive. And what that's going to do is provide some some stability and and some some nutrient for those those uh, rehydrating yeast cells to use to, to stabilize their walls. Because rehydration of yeast, of a dry yeast, is, is a very delicate process. Um, it's, it's taking the yeast from its, essentially its most vulnerable state, which is having been freeze-dried. It's, it's just, a, just a, a really stressful act. And those cell walls get, get uh, put into their most potentially fragile state. We're going to use the exact recipe that they call for, 50 milliliters of water and, uh, for, per, per pack, and, and we're going to um, rehydrate that. with a, First, we're going to mix the, the 20 grams of, of uh, 
go firm in with the water, and then we're going to just just uh, pour that those those yeast packets onto the surface of that water. Um, one of the things that that I do, kind of a trick that I do, is to is to use a, a, a cake pan to do my rehydration in because when you rehydrate the yeast, you're going to pour the dry yeast onto the surface of the liquid, and the larger the surface of the liquid is, the, the more evenly the yeast can begin to absorb that water. And we're not going to stir it at all while that's in process. Um, it's, going to be, it's going to be about a 20-minute process to rehydrate that yeast, and, and uh, we're not going to touch it at all. That water is going to be at 104 degrees Fahrenheit um, when we when we add the go firm, stir that in, and then just let let that uh, sprinkle that yeast across the surface of that water, and it will it will begin to absorb it, and and it'll start to it'll start to get a little foamy, not like the not like the bread starters, but but it'll you'll, you'll see it begin to become active again, um, and and it's best to let that stuff just absorb water as it will. Um, in the meantime, then we'll go back and we will we will add the remaining amount of water that we're going to use to get up to our five gallon volume. Um, once we've got that done, um, sometimes I like to take uh, uh, in my in my sanitizing solution. I'll, I'll get the the airlock that I'm going to use. I frequently also sanitize a ladle and and uh, I'll, I'll ladle out then ladle out a little bit and, and take a gravity reading. Uh, with 20 pounds, you're probably going to be somewhere in between uh, 1140 and 1150 for your starting gravity, depending on the, the moisture content of the honey that you started with. Um, and and um, what I've been doing of late uh, to, to add that, that water back up without adding any uh, chlorine or chloramine is to use bottled spring water. And that's an important thing for you to use um, to, to not use a distilled water because um, if, if you use water that has been completely stripped of all of its uh, micronutrients, that's going to put your yeast at a disadvantage. Um, it needs the, the manganese and the copper and all those little bits of minerals that, that, it, that it will draw from the water. Calcium it, or it can't, can't flocculate without calcium. Exactly, exactly. So, so you don't want to use... Uh, distilled water. You want to use a, a really high quality, and, I, and I, I do the same approach with my water that I do with my honey. I, I sniff around until I find one that I like, and uh, uh, sniff and taste, and, and then just go out and buy five gallons of it in, in, uh, in either in, in individual gallons or larger containers, and, and use that for your, for your mead-making water. Uh, you take your, take your gravity reading, um, whip away again on it, once you've added the water and you're up to your full your your full um, brewing volume, whip away on it again with the mixers to add a little more oxygen. And when when the the yeast is completely um, completely hydrated, then you can you can gently stir that just a small little bit and and pitch it right into the into the uh, the bucket. Put the lid on and put the airlock on and and don't even feel obliged to stir that up. If you can leave those yeasts, uh, those new new yeasts, undisturbed, uh, they'll, they'll reproduce well and and um, they'll they'll appreciate your gentleness uh, with them as they as they begin their their new task. Um, so what and I then what I do? 
So what what I find interesting, Ken, is uh, the amount of focus you put on uh, preparing the yeast, and and the lesser amount you put on preparing the the must, the the honey water mixture, right? And sure. Uh, and what I found is. Uh, you, uh, you know the uh, there's 20 billion cells of uh, of yeast per per gram of dry yeast on average, 20 right. billion. If you look at uh, what the the manufacturer says, it's like six billion to eight billion, right? And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. all right. So people question me all the time. It's like, well, how can you say there's 20 billion when the manufacturer says there's six to eight? So while there's six to eight viable. Six to eight billion viable cells. If you just sprinkle it on top of your your wort or your must, but if you properly rehydrate it, like Ken's saying, you'll get yeast that's well prepared to ferment out something that's twenty pounds of honey. You yeah. get something that's you know ready to go. If you just sprinkle it on there, like the the manufacturer says for the homebrew site. If you go to the professional site, they tell you to rehydrate. If you go to the homebrew site, they tell you to sprinkle it on. Uh, if you just sprinkle it on, you're putting half of that yeast is going to be dead yeast that drops to the bottom of the fermenter and eventually breaks down. And Absolutely. That, that's not going to be good for the fl- overall flavor and uh, you know fermentation that you're trying to achieve. So what Ken's focusing on, and I think is, is one of the critical things for great mead, is, is making sure you properly rehydrate, you give you that yeast a, a great start in life, and you've got everything set for them to fully reproduce and properly ferment what is a, a huge uh, load of sugar. Yeah, he's doing three grams per gallon. Yeah, that's yep. a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If 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 you are really going to be anal retentive about the uh, the acclimation of that yeast starter to your mead, what you can do is take that ladle then and ladle in. Uh, and if you're willing to take the additional time, you can ladle in another you know fifty to one hundred milliliters of of your must into your starter, and that. You can do that over the course of, of a half an hour. You can keep continually adding another ladle every 10 minutes or so, and that will give the yeast, again, a, a slow acclimation to their new sugar uh, environment because they're, they're going from, from you know, water and some additional, uh, additional nitrogen and, and uh, uh, free amino nitrogen they can use to, to build up that cell wall mass to... to it, it, you know, if you if you just took it and dumped it in, it would be going from a a no nutrient environment to one with, like you said, just a spectacular amount of sugar. Um, so so you can slowly add some of that that um, must into your starter and then pitch. Uh, that that you know the the delay is not something that's going to uh, at all negatively impact your yeast. And in fact, um, the the yeast, the yeast rehydration at 104. Um, will be will be um, it will be optimal. It will absorb the water best at 104 degrees. But then you're going to turn around and pitch that that uh, culture into um, a, a must solution that's probably at 70, roughly 75 degrees. If it's if everything you started with everything at room temperature, so that again is another shock, like you said, that, that can immediately reduce. Uh, your your viable yeast cell population by up to forty percent. If you just take it and pour it in there, 
30 to 40 percent of those of those cells are going to die right then well and and even, even with these extra steps you're still talking a fraction of the amount of effort it takes yeah. to brew a batch of beer Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, at this point, at this point, if we're if we've really done everything right, we're a half an hour in the process. <laughs> um, well, maybe forty five minutes if we've been been very slow about our sanita- uh, sanitation. All right. So you got your must, and and you've added the yeast. And what's our next steps? Well, now we're going to let it go through a lag phase. It's going to go through about six to eight hours while that some of that yeast um, begins to reproduce. Um, it, it's going to be it's going to be reproducing in an environment that doesn't have much nitrogen in it, but that's that's okay for the first six hours. Um, but then it's then it's going to need more. So if if we did this in an evening or if we did this at the start of the day, about six to eight hours later, we're going to need to to supplement the amount of nutrient that it needs. And just to keep it simple and straightforward, let's add um, one half of a teaspoon of diammonium phosphate and one quarter of a teaspoon of Fermate K. And we're going to do that then every 24 hours for the next three days. So each, each time we're going to, we're going to pull the lid off, we're going to aerate well, and then we're going to, which will, which will serve to both add air, uh, oxygen into the must while it's in the reproductive phase and also to degas some of the CO2 that's, that's in there. And, and we'll, we will add additional nitrogen and micronutrients. So, so half a teaspoon of, air, air, of uh, ammonium phosphate and, and another quarter teaspoon of Fermate K. So, uh, aerate by stirring with a sanitized spoon and, and just dump the, the diammonium phosphate and the Fermate K straight in, no mixing or diluting or anything like that. Just, no, I don't just see dump any those in and stir it, it up. As long as it's not, as long as it's not chunky or anything like that, if you, if you add it, it, it will get it will get mixed into the solution. And how readily. aggressively do we stir it? Till it's foamy, or just more gently? Well, well, the the first time you stir it, there's not going to be a lot of a lot of uh, CO2 in there to, to degas. But on the the second, third, and if uh, if, if we're going to do a traditional like this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to add. I'm going to make four additions like this. So that's going to actually be over the course of of you know really 72 hours, but four separate additions. Um, once you get to the second and the third time, yeah, it's going to foam up. It's going to foam up pretty well. Um, and that's fine. That's perfectly perfectly normal. You want that to happen. You want that that uh, carbon dioxide in, in the must will suppress that yeast's activity, both its, its reproductive activity and its fermentation. So it's good to get that out of the must and... and um, yeah, stir it up. I stir it aggressively, and I, I do exactly like you said. I, I generally keep uh, an iota four solution with my with my uh, slotted stainless steel spoon in it. And I, uh, if I'm if I'm feeling real particular, <laughs> I rinse it off with some some extremely hot tap water, and uh, then just stir it. And when that I add, and uh, that for me and my and my 
dimonium phosphate. And that probably adds a, a, a bit more of an estery profile to things, too, as well. The, the more CO2 you have, the more it suppresses the yeast activity and the activity occurs and, and, and actually holds down on, on ester production. But you release right. that CO2, and, and in something like a mead, you're looking for some of that fruity character and that, that yeast uh, uh, and honey character to it, more like a wine-like than you are like a clean beer. You want that, right? Exactly, exactly. And, yeah, if, if you leave, well, I, I tend not to, but leaving that, that uh, CO2 in there will cause it to be um, a, a more reductive beverage. And, and as it, when it's young, then, it will need more oxygen to express those, um, those characters that you're talking about. It will require decanting and, and long periods of time in the glass before it really begins to show what its, what its real uh, bouquet and aromatic profile are like. So I like I like to get that CO two out of there so that you know it, you know yeah it will it will be a year or two before it really hits its stride but but uh, uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna have a period of, of initial just really closedness I guess I, that would be the that's kind of the beer or probably the uh, wine approach to that so yeah we're gonna do that we're gonna do that uh, four times and then after the fourth time we're gonna go ahead and and put the uh, the, the fermentation lock on it, and, and it should complete its fermentation in, in between 14 and 21 days, which is contrary to what was the, the sort of the day rigueur expectation Six months, of, of yeah, uh, a year. long ago when, yeah, well, I mean, people thought meads took months to ferment. Yeah, yeah. A year. Oh, yeah, that's well, what I was really, always told. Yeah, they should they should be done, and a good, a good fermentation like that should be done in in about 21 days. 21, 28 is, is not unacceptable. Well, and you know, for something at that high a starting gravity, you sure know, if you were doing a, a big yeah. barley wine, uh, you, you'd expect something that long, too. So it, it should be yeah. kind of tracking the same thing as an ale yeast, almost, or brewing your average ale, if yep. you're up at that gravity. Absolutely. Yep. So once it's completed its fermentation, now... Um, and, and you see that, that that airlock has really pretty much gone flat. Um, then we'll go ahead and and, uh, and rack and, and proceed with the same sort of procedures we would use for for um, for beer. Um, although I, I like to I like to make sure that I've gotten myself into a vessel, an appropriately sized vessel that um, doesn't leave a lot of headspace there because oxidation, once, especially if you're going to be aging for for months at a time, becomes an issue. Um, like to to uh, see to it that I end up with with a, a five gallon carboy completely full to the neck, and then I'll just let it age. Um, How long are you aging it for usually? Uh, well, well, a mead like this will be drinkable at four or five months. Okay. Um, so that you know, if you let it age until it's clear, you're fine. And then um, drink. Yep, but now let's now now I said we we're going to do something with vanilla. We've got it into the we've got it into the secondary, and we've got only a small amount of airspace in there. After it's after it's aged out, and it's now now we've you know we've seen absolutely no airlock activity for a couple of weeks. To get the vanilla character in there and have it have a, a fresh and vibrant vanilla taste to it, we'll take um, I take a muslin tea bag and a and a six inch. Um, vanilla bean, and we can cut that into into roughly one inch sections. Split it and cut it all into one inch sections. And if you're if you're 
particular about sanitation, you can steam that for five minutes or so. Um, but I'm not I'm not as concerned. Once we've really hit that 14 percent alcohol that we should roughly be at right now, I'm I'm, I'm pretty confident that the meat can withstand a little bit of a tiny bit of microbial in, infection that. Not infection, but so, uh, load that's going to come from a vanilla bean. What, what, what gravity? Bean. What gravity is that? So you started at ten forty to ten fifty, and where yeah, should we and be gonna now? Be down, we're going to be down to about. Uh, we started eleven forty to eleven fifty, and we're going to be down right. now to about 11, ten sorry, yeah, twenty-five <laughs> roughly. Okay. Um, so we've got fourteen percent alcohol in this thing. Thirteen and a half, fourteen percent. That's what seventy-one B eleven twenty-two will give us. And and then we'll take that and put it into a, that muslin bag. And the approach I would take is I would steam the muslin bag and then put the vanilla in it and cram that thing down into the neck of the carboy and and stick this. It will, it will have uh, the, the muslin tea bags that you can buy online. will generally have uh, drawstrings on them. And pull the drawstrings up, put the, put the vanilla down into the mead, and... Stick your your uh, your your bung back in the top of the carboy, and and leave it in there for four to five days. Then go down there with a with a, a small section with a racking cane, for example, and wine thief off a little dribble of it, and do that once every couple of days until you hit the degree of vanilla flavor that you think is fine, and then pull it out again, and and you're done with your vanilla flavoring. <laughs> That's that's uh, a, a very simple and straightforward way to get to get uh, spice character into a mead. So a, a methaglin. Yep. Okay. So if you didn't add the vanilla, you've got a traditional mead, probably a sweet uh, sack mead, right? That's correct. And then uh, you could carbonate it and have various levels of carbonation, or sure. you you go ahead and do the vanilla or pepper or God knows what cinnamon, cinnamon yep. and and then you've got a methaglin. All right. Yep. So is there an easy way to 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 make a piment or a braggot or a, or a melamel? How do, well, how do we go about doing those? Um. Boy, don't worry. You, you got to, like three the minutes. Way so to don't, make don't worry. Is, is grow some trees, and then <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, but, but let's let's talk about a braggot. Okay, yeah, yeah. Really and, and and take us down the road of of somebody who's starting out. So you've you've gotten us through our first steps, and and mm-hmm. what what you would recommend next? You, you're teaching us. We we don't need to drive it any uh, any way other than that. Sure. If, if I was gonna go next for a braggot. Um, the, the, one of the braggots that I'm really fond of is, is one that's got a, a lot of honey character to it, but also th- that has something of that, uh, that Thomas Hardy's ale approach to deep, aggressive maltiness and, and some bitterness. So um, without going into, into a whole lot of depth on how to do this, um, let's start with a couple of cans of, of malt extract, um, and or uh, a couple of three-pound bags of, of dry malt extract, and let's boil that up in about uh, about four gallons of water. And to that, we're going to add um, ten pounds of of blackberry honey. Blackberry honey is a great honey to make 
brag it's with because it, it in and of itself has a high maltose character to it and and as well it has a really profoundly uh, strong honey character which is important when you're doing braggots because um, if, if you're going to ferment to approximately dry character um, you, you will end up with you, you can end up with as, as anyone who's tried to make a honey beer and use a light honey will attest it, it can just get all eaten up and there's almost no honey character left so you want something with a really assertive profile, uh, a very assertive honey profile, and blackberry honey is a really good honey to do that with. Um, about 10 pounds of that, um, if you just go through a traditional uh, extract approach to, to making a, a beer, you can even do a, you know, a smaller boil, and then at the end of the boil, add the 10 pounds of honey and do whatever work chilling procedure you would have to get yourself up to your five, your five. Uh, oh, hold on! I, I'm leaving out the hops. Whoops! <laughs> it's okay. Um, <laughs> no, let's let's put a bunch of hops. Yeah, in. Yeah, throw it let's in. Let's put about let's put about 65 IBUs. Woo. Yep, and let's put in. Let's start with 50 50 IBUs of of a really robust, like a Chinook or an Eroica that's gonna that's gonna just provide profound bitterness and then finish with something that's going to have the appropriate hot character that you like if you like a, a more new world approach maybe you want to go with cascades or centennial um or if you like a, a more english style let's go with with uh, an east kent goldings right and and we'll finish with with uh so we'll go with with 50 ibus at the start for 60 minutes We'll go with 10 IBUs for 20 minutes, and then we'll go with that final five IBUs, e- either as as a final five minutes or or as a as a post post boil addition for quasi dry hopping. And um, and then uh, as we're dry hopping, we can add that honey, because what we're going to try and do is keep as much of its aromatic character as possible, so we don't want to boil that off. So this is definitely in the secondary, then? Is this off the primary well, no, no, yeast? No, no, no. This is, this is after, this is after, this is in the, in the, this is in the boil kettle. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. To, to dissolve it in. Okay. Um, we'll add that 10 pounds of blackberry honey, stir it in, and then, and then we can, if we're doing just a straight old-fashioned uh, uh, extract approach, we can, we can, um, Pour that into our our fermenter. Add water up. Add, add uh, spring water up to uh, to our five gallon brew link, and use whatever wort chilling procedure you're. And myself, I would use a plastic fermenter with an immersion chiller and chill that down to, to seventy, and and proceed with the same approach with with uh, with the uh, yeast culturing. I. When I'm doing braggots, I have them. Uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to tend to use something that's uh, a, a more of a of a beer yeast, an English ale or a stout, um, something that I know will will capture the appropriate, you know, that will match the yeast character with the hopping uh, approach that I've taken. Um, if I'm going to use, uh, let's just say we're going to go with the East East Kent Goldings and uh, and uh, and an Irish Irish ale yeast. And um, pitch that in, and, and then then you're you know you're going to go through the same process you would for any extract um, fermentation and and uh, 
let it let it run its course and get it into a secondary and and then carbonate it and whether you're going to serve it off keg or or bottles. So so Ken, I'm I'm really lazy as anyone will tell you. Anyone that yeah you know. yeah you are. <laughs> and, uh, and and one of the things I've done to to make a bracket is I'll I'll have like a, a stock ale and then I've right. got my traditional mead. And I pour whatever percentage of one and the other tastes about right, and bottle it up. I'm done. <laughs> I've got my, my I've fine. got my That's my uh, Cab- Cabernet Sauvignon. I've got my traditional mead. I pour the two <laughs> together in whatever percentage. I've got pie mint. Uh, <laughs> That's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. Do it. <laughs> yeah. guilty. Is, no, is, the one thing the one thing I don't to like do it to do. I mean, the, the thing I think that's really come um, up short in the in the uh, Pyment category is. I don't think I don't think water was a traditional ingredient in piments. I think what they were doing, if you look back at, at how piment sort of got its start in the Russian, or pardon me, in the Roman in Roman times and among the Greeks, they were using um, they were using honey to chap the lies low gravity grapes, or they were ah, using honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were adding honey. They were adding honey to already fermented wines to increase their sweetness and, uh-huh. and take away from um, the the sort of uh, high acidities or, or other issues that they were having with those wines that were making them unattractive to drink. I think that makes a hundred percent sense. I think that's absolutely sure. correct. Sure. So so what we're what we're doing when we're making a a sort of watered down version of a of a piment with with water honey and maybe a can of alexander's extract is is not i don't think in the same vein as as the the beverages were originally and i really i really hope to see more i mean the the best the best piment i've ever had was one that mcconnell did and that was done with with pure riesling and that was that was capitalized up to a higher gravity and then made something that was from 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 Michigan Riesling, which re- never really reaches high, you know, high degrees of, of sugar and ripeness. Instead, it has high degrees of acidity and, and a low sugar content. And then he added added honey to it, and, and, and it created something that was more like a, a Trockenbeer and Auslese, um in its in its mouthfeel and its delivery, but also had vibrant levels of acidity and 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 vibrant levels of just just really impactful fruit character. That's the kind of piment I think is is uh, compelling to my taste. So it it, it sounds you're you're running you're running into pumpkin time where where you need to go to bed so you can get up at like the crack of freaking still before dawn and get to work. So I, I a couple of things I want to cover. I want to cover um, the listener questions which are coming up from the chat room and. Uh, uh, I, I want you to touch on blending and, and tweaking with like acids and tannins and, and things like that. Okay, so sure. go for it. You got a few minutes, and then we got to get to the chat room. Well, yeah, um, let's leave acid until the end of the fermentation. Okay. If you if you're if you're uh, someone that wants to add acidity and and really likes brisk acidity in their meads. Um, don't add them at the front because um, lowering the pH during the fermentation can cause stuck fermentation. So let's let's let the fermentation occur healthfully, and then and then go ahead and and do that 
prior to kegging or bottling and do it to taste. Um, use, use small amounts of, of acid blend and add it in, in a, you know, a gram at a time or a quarter teaspoon at a time, whatever your small increment is to your total batch. And, um, you know, you can, you can do the same approach, sanitize a stainless steel, um, um, ladle and add small amounts into that to the ladle dissolve it completely then dissolve it back into the total amount and taste it until it hits where you want to be and and use that as your guidepost uh it's it's a lot easier to get it right that way um and to not overshoot or undershoot and and it's also not going to compromise your yeast or your yeast health during your fermentation by by crashing your ph um and the same thing i i take that same approach with uh with uh and i've done what you're talking about blending with with uh with beers, and I've done the same thing blending meats together. The one thing I will say about blending meats together is um, it, it can work out really well if you have a certain meat that's lacking something or a certain meat that has too much of something, but I would never ask, uh, this is the same Q-in, Q-out approach, um, don't ever expect that if you've got a really bad mead, you can somehow save it by blending, unless the only thing that's bad about it is it's too acidic, and you can blend it with a mead that lacks acidity. Um, but if it's got something that's really nasty, for example, higher alcohols, there's nothing you can do. Just you blend the crap, that, and you just you just ruin another mead trying to blend exactly. it out. Just throw it out and start over, or make you know, do, or just or just you know choke it down or give it to your uh your wino friends <laughs> you know i don't know or send it to the alcohol recovery program <laughs> uh, use it to use it to make uh marinades out of all right, all right all right uh you know i get to make some mead <laughs> no I, I i think we could go for for another hour and a half, I think we go for another ten and a half hours, and you you've got so much great information, and I, I guarantee anyone that's listening, buy a copy of Ken's book, The Complete Mead Maker. It's available everywhere, and I imagine it's available on the Brewing Network store. Go to the www.thebrewingnetwork.com, and uh, you can get yourself a, a copy of The Complete Mead Maker there in the store, and it helps support programming like this. And uh, I, I, I swear to God, you know, follow Ken's instructions in that book. If you don't make a, a great mead, blame it know, on Jamil. Call me up. I'll refund your money. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'm serious. It's 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 really well written, and it's got all this information in it. I think we gained a few gems that oh, aren't yeah. quite in the book, or or hearing it just spoken, it it, it helped me actually. I, I I think it made the process that much simpler for me. Yeah, I mean it's, it's really very easy, and I think you're going to make a great mead. Mm-hmm. And ah, uh, uh, you know, everybody who's interested, try it at least once. It's it's well worth buying the book and buying a you know a. Uh, 20 pounds of honey and giving it a go, right. I think you'd be very surprised at how easy it is and, right. and the quality of the results if you follow Ken's instructions. Right. Uh, if you follow to a T, it's, it's going to turn out really good. Absolutely. Uh, Justin, we have questions from the chat room. Lots of questions from the chat room. Uh, a couple things to point out. I'm really glad it's the second to last Jamil show because I think Jamil's a dickhead. I just want to say that to everybody right now. I waited three years to say that, didn't you? Oh, yeah. you know, thank you. You couldn't have waited for the last there show. No. You had to like, you know, ruin the last show for me. Now? I have to be nice to you on the last show, so I figure on the second to last show, I'm allowed to say good riddance. 
<laughs> and then on the last show, I go, oh, no, it's really great. The most You're... listened to show on the Brewing Network, <laughs> yeah. is and he's, he's giving, me, giving me crap. I say good riddance. And, uh, by the way, the chat room also noticed that uh, you phoned in half of this episode, Jamil. You you put your feet up, you had your arms about you, relaxing, you are chilling. They were saying no, to me, no, no. they oh. asked, hey, where the hell's Jamil? Yeah, I, I've got one of the the greatest experts on yeah. the line. <laughs> I'm supposed to yakety yak and ruin what what Ken's saying. I think they're used to uh, me hosting shows, and that's what I do. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I talk over yeah. the, the no, great people. It's time for me to shut up. John was doing a brilliant job too. Okay. And John and Ken talking through the, through making great meat. Okay, what am I supposed to do? I guess shut up. Right. That's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And then my uh, last is that uh, the today's quote of the day came from our our wonderful guest Ken Tram, and it was a. Sniff and taste. That's it. It was very simple. I like that. I like that. Scratch and sniff and taste. Sniff and taste. I think it goes for mead and it goes for life. Actually, I I got two more for you. I got sanitized your beaters. You got that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I got massive matrix. Okay. (laughs) I think that... um, Grab those beaters, sanitize them. I think if Love Strong ever comes to fruition and it has different episodes, one of them could be called sniff and taste. Absolutely. Sounds perfect. That's why I liked it. Yeah. All right, Ken, here's how it works. We got a lot of questions, a lot of live listeners in here today, and a lot of questions for you. So maybe we can try to just do a little bit of rapid fire and get through them all. Sure. Okay. Um, all right. First of all, is you were talking about a lot of, uh, I, I think, mixing up with a spoon when, you, when you're talking about stirring up the, the yeast and all that. Um, what about using CO2 instead? They just want to know do, we, you know, do we have to spoon it? Can you use something else in there, or does it need to be an instrument like that? Uh, during the fermentation process, I'm aiming to get, to get uh, s- some oxygen into the, into the mead, and that's what I'm doing with the slotted spoon. And I'm, I'm also... Um, I, I, I kind of got in the habit of it because um, frequently I'm making melomels and I want to try and, and uh, punch down the cap as well. So that, that, that's my approach. If you're, if you're used to using uh, bottled oxygen, that will work fine. So you can use uh, oxygen to stir it up and yep, not sure. CO2. That'd probably be better because you'd want to get rid of the CO2. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, in traditionals, in traditionals, as long as you're, well, for degassing, I like a spoon. <laughs> Well, and, and, and what about uh, just pumping, t- taking the aquarium pump with a sterile filter and uh, pumping mm-hmm. air through? That works as well. And st- with, with a centered stone and uh, stir it up that way and uh, also adding oxygen. Okay. Yeah, I think I think the actual agitation, though, does 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 help to drive the drive CO2 Drive the CO2, off. right, right. Okay. Uh, here's another good question. What about using wine yeast for mead? Oh, I use that's it on a regular, talking about. regular basis. That's did Lalda, the Lalda 71B 1122 is a wine yeast. Okay. I also use D47. I've used um, I've used Ostenthausen. I've used uh, hmm, a, a, a couple of the different Riesling yeasts. I've used uh, Lafort. Um, um, they're one of their uh, really nice um, Sauterne yeasts. So yeah, I, I I do that and and not to pump it too much, but there's a, a decent section of the book that talks about. The, the different wine yeasts. Um, one of the big advantages of using wine yeast as opposed to beer yeast is that that uh, wine musts are traditionally <clears throat> traditionally of a lower pH, as as will your mead must be. 
So if you're if you're looking for something that works really well at a pH down around four, as opposed as opposed to a pH of four point five to five point five, which is where beer worts tend to be, you're, you're better to uh, to deal with uh, wine yeasts. And they're also used to being the workhorse cranking three twelve and a half thirteen percent alcohol. Okay. Well, and I'm I'm not I'm I'm not trying to push books here, but I'll tell you this. Right. So so honey is not cheap. Okay, be prepared to pay, you know, a few bucks for for quality honey. You're going to pay, but it's worth it. All right? And it and you're going to save yourself a ton of time going doing a meet. But I I'll, I'll tell you this, buy a copy of the book, you know, sit on the bowl as many hours as it takes and read the book cover to cover. And that is going to save you uh, you know, quite a few bucks in wasted honey. If you if you buy a copy of this book, uh, you know it's it's not selling books. It's making sure you have good results. Now, what Ken's told you throughout the show, I think you could you you actually would make a good mead. But you know, if if you're going to make a couple of meads, you know, buy this book. It's cheap compared to the the, the cost of you know it's a price of like you know less than one batch of of, of mead. Yeah. So buy it, read it, and then you know definitely do do some meads. And, and it, it's just it's a cost savings. Mm. It's it's protection. It's guaranteed that your mead will turn out right. right. So so your quote is massive matrix, but my my lasting image from this time together. <laughs> yeah. Big load? Book on book on bowl. Book on bowl. <laughs> book on bowl, exactly. And by the way, it takes an hour a day, Jamil, yes. if, it's, if it's me. Uh, and then speaking of, uh, Jamil, you're mentioning how expensive honey is and not yeah. messing up. Somebody in the chat room mentioned that it's that it's difficult to get heather honey. And I don't know if you if anyone has a comment on that, if that is something that's difficult to get or if that's a regional thing. They were is that, asking is that why like stripper honey? It's difficult to get. I like Monica's honey. <laughs> you prefer that over Heather honey? Yeah. yeah. There, are, there are two, there are probably two holy grails of honey. They are Scottish Heather and, and uh, Provençal Lavender honey. Mm, and, sounds good. Um, they make they make good um, they make good meads that take a while to age to really hit their stride. But you're right, they're extremely expensive and very hard to come by. But how about a really you know uh, a cheap, a relatively cheap and uh, good honey orange blossom? Yeah, yeah. You know, that was a top three. Yeah, make make a great mead, and and you know, especially on the West Coast, uh, anywhere in California, orange blossom honey is pretty darn cheap, uh, comparatively. And Um, and the nice thing about that is, you can be really confident that you're actually getting local orange blossom honey. If you're in the Midwest, you may be getting stuff from Argentina and China and wherever. But uh, that's that's a great way to support your local beekeeper, and please do that. Okay. All right, some more questions on uh, mead. Uh, somebody asked about hopping a mead, Ken. Would you do that, or, or, or how would you do it? Okay, Gene. You know, <laughs> it, it, that, that's something that... That was in there. <laughs> yeah. oh. No, I wouldn't. I mean, it, it, brackets, yeah, definitely I'm putting hops in brackets. Um, but really the character that I'm looking to get out of a mead is is the honey and, and or the other constituent... Uh, Ingredients, and and uh, I really think a better showplace for hops is in pale ales and and the, the, the traditional places that we um, enjoy them. I think they're they're better they're a better counterpoint with malt than they are with honey. Okay. Um, 
here might be an involved question, so let's do our best. Uh, somebody asked about a stepped nutrient approach, and is, mm-hmm. if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, that's that's what I was talking yeah, about, about, adding the nutrients, uh, you know, a half a teaspoon of VAP. Um, there are a couple of different approaches. If you go out and uh, take a look around, I've, I've actually written an article that appeared a few years ago in Zymergy on optimizing honey fermentation that talks about even, even – uh, extending out that that step to 10 steps there's also a a different approach that's that's uh, advocated by it kind of came out of a protocol uh, developed by clayton cone for adding nutrients at the end of the lag phase and then again at the one-third sugar break which is um you know once you've worked through one-third of the sugar um then you you do another um nutrient addition and both of them have at their core the the uh, fact that yeast will ferment faster while it's, it while it is still in a reproductive phase um, and will be much more aggressive and much much healthier as the longer you can prolong that reproductive phase um, there there's kind of a, a sort of a misconception of how that happens in in uh, among brewers that that all of the yeast go from the reproductive phase to the anaerobic phase. It looks uniformly, and, and, and the fact of the matter is it's more of a gradient. A certain percentage of them move into the reproductive, or out of the reproductive phase into the, the fermentative phase, um, and, and a certain percentage of them continue to reproduce. And they will continue to, those reproducing uh, yeasts will continue to consume oxygen from your, from your must, and you want to prolong that as long as possible. Um, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that either one of those approaches will make a lot better mead than what I what I and, and really I became much more cognizant of that after I wrote the book. Um, so the book says you know just add a couple of teaspoons of of DAP when you get started, and it's it's much more uh, you get a much much higher quality fermentation if you if you do stagger your nutrient additions over the course of a few days. Whether that's at a like a one third sugar uh, consumption point or staggered over the, the course of a few days, my okay. my approach is more of a of a just in time approach, as opposed to the let them let them eat a bunch and then you know sort of get them lean for a while and then feed them again. So I think the trick here is to to buy the book, donate to the Brewing Network, yeah, listen to the show. And you got all the, the 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 current information, and you're ready to go. Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> Couple more questions. Um, did you talk about using malic acid to balance acidity? Someone asked if you would use that. Um, well, um, malic acid is the traditional acid that you get from apples. Um, it's one of the acids that you can use use to add acidity. Um, you can use citric. You can use tartaric. Um, you can use a blend of all three of those. Um, I tend when I've when I've used them, I've tend to use a, a, a blend, an acid blend, myself. That's uh, citric acid, uh, citric malic and tartaric. Um, and some people uh, take an entirely different approach and use lemon juice. Um, my inclination is to try and find a honey that's got a more balanced profile if that's a if that's an option um, but if you find yourself in a situation where you've got a honey that, or a, a mead that's fermented out 
I, I, if you're asking me what I would do, I would use an acid blend. Okay. All right. Uh, trying to get through all these for you, Ken. I know you got to go. Uh, a lot of <laughs> questions came through for you. Um, someone asked about killing the yeast um, so, that, so that you don't get uh, bottle bombs. So, oh, right. Asked, hey, how do you kill the yeast without sulfites? Do you just rack lots of times or wait till it's settled out? They're just concerned about bottle bombs. Well, um, the uh, if you're really concerned about bottle bombs, what you want to do is to get the yeast until they uh, get the yeast when they reach their uh, alcohol tolerance and pretty much stop fermenting. And once the yeast has stopped fermenting, whether that's due to temperature changes or or um, the fact that they run out of the nutrient, um, there's a sort of protein switch in the yeast that sort of stops itself from fermenting. And what you really want to have happen is that for that switch to never come back on again. And the trick to that is potassium sorbate. Uh, that's added at a level of uh, half a teaspoon per gallon. And you want to add it when the yeast is not in an active fermentation. And, uh, and uh, then you will be assured that it will not create bottle bombs you won't be able to you won't be able to bottle condition at that point um, but if you're looking to have a still mead stay still that's the trick okay great and the, and the great way to carbonate meads put them in a keg force carbonate <laughs> absolutely that's what i do <laughs> you get great control and uh and uh, you know you can uh dial in exactly what you want and it's you don't have to worry about the yeast or anything at, okay. after that point I did have another question about bottle conditioning, though. Somebody asking if you could use honey to bottle condition. Could you add back honey to, as your as your nutrient as your sugar? Yeah, yeah, you can. Okay. And uh, just be aware that honey is about twice as uh, has, has twice the concentration of sugar per volume than your bottling sugar does. Uh, you know, if you're using if you're using uh, dextrose or or if you're using maltose, um, so that if you're used to using a, a cup of priming sugar per five-gallon batch, you would use a half a cup of, of honey. Okay. All right, we're almost there. What do we look for in a good piment? Someone said they're even having trouble finding a good commercial example, and, and they just they don't know what to look for. What, what are the characteristics no, I, of a good piment? The characteristics of a good piment are the characteristics of the good constituent ingredients. Um, if you're really if you're really interested in in uh, crafting good piments, my, one of my first recommendations would be to find out what types of really good um, grapes or grape juice you can get in your area. Um, I've, I've had some great uh, muscadine piments. Um, the the key is to find really high quality ingredients. The, and, and like I said earlier, I'm not sure you can find a commercial example of a great piment that's going to match the quality that you can make on your own. Um, wow. I'll give you the Michigan example. In Michigan, uh, they do a pretty good job with with growing some of the, the white grapes in the in the Traverse City area. They'll, they grow good Riesling. And so you find some place that will sell you five gallons of, of um, sulfited Riesling juice. Um, and there are a few places in Michigan that will do that. And, uh, and buy that and then add honey to it up to the the target gravity that you wanted to begin with and um, and work from there and pick like I said again pick a honey that's gonna that's gonna remain expressive and can can um, 
kind of shout out its own character over the top of of uh, a really expressive um, grape character, and and off you go. I, I I think some of the white grapes, the Sauvignon Blancs, and uh, and the Rieslings and uh, Semillons, uh, those are the kinds of of grapes that if they have uh, slightly higher acidity levels and lower bricks levels that you can you can chaptalize with honey and make really nice pimens. Okay. All right. Last questions for Ken, and then I got one for you, John, coming through. But uh, oh, no. I don't know if you guys covered fermentation temperatures. Uh, no. So a two-part question for you. Uh, fermentation temperature, and then somebody also asked about aging temperatures. Good questions. Right. Well, I've got a Michigan cellar, so I'm very fortunate. Um, and I can I can ferment if I ferment in the uh, in the cooler seasons I can ferment at 55 degrees on my basement floor. Um, but um, for those of you who who are using freezers or other systems, um, the 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 best recommendation that I would have is to go out to Lalamond or go to go to your um, well the, the Lalamond website and 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 or the folks from White Labs or the More uh, beer. brother yeast supplier and find out what their recommended fermentation temperature is and try and match that. There is no there is no magic of mead that says, oh well it will ferment better as a mead at at you know seventy than if if uh, Dave Dave Logsdon or or uh, the, uh, the White Labs is saying Chris White no fifty two is where it's gonna hit its sweet spot, well then ferment it at fifty two. Okay. All right. Before the last question for John, a little bit of praise from the chat room uh, for you, Ken. Somebody said, hey, tell Ken, uh, I think this is a compliment. He says, <laughs> tell Ken he stomps ass all day long. That Tell him that honey making... He's, he's seen the video of you on YouTube. <laughs> he said, tell him that honey making its own hydrogen peroxide is the raddest shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Glucose oxidase. Is that cool? I mean, that is just... Totally cool. Uh, those uh, bees are bees and honey are are uh, absolutely magic stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and Ken, I, I will say, you know, we we don't do a lot of guests on here, but our previous best guest was actually Chris Wine of White Labs, who who, who just right. did a, a rocking job, just it, kind of random, staggering into the. Uh, into the into the studio, oh, but cool. I, I think you've been the best guest we've ever had Absolutely. on the show, and I and I think the the Sunday session needs to do a uh, like a three hour segment with you that to, yeah. to really kind of pick your brain and answer all these questions, and I think this has been wonderful. We wanted to have a great mead segment. And I think you've you've delivered for us. I really appreciate it. I think this is an opportunity for uh, the brewing now. We're a little mead strong. What do you think? Yeah, we got to have Ken back for mead strong. Think so. Wow. <laughs> I appreciate it. You guys have been you guys have been wonderful hosts. All right. So Jamil, Justin, John. Um, Cheers. It's been my pleasure. Great. Good job, Ken. I really yeah. appreciate it. We'll let you go to sleep. What is it? Uh, after eleven, there you got to get up early, huh? Yeah. He's, he's, it is. It is. Yeah. We're we're pushing here. It's it's been great. Uh, thank you, Ken. Thank you for, to our sponsor, northernbrewer.com. You know, go on there. You, you can get honey from there. You can get the complete mead maker, which, again, just buy the book. It's really going to save you money in the long run. I did meads before I had the book. I did meads after I had the book. And I'm telling you, it's cheaper to just buy the book 
and then do your meads, you'll 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 be much happier. Oh, and someone asked if you cover braggots in the book, Ken. Yes, I do. And okay. in fact, there are a couple of uh, one of one of my award making uh, braggot recipes is in the book. Okay. That I, I want to meet it. I want to award at nationals with. So nice. Have at it. All right. Thanks a lot, Ken. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, John. Thanks, Ken. All right. All right. I do have to do one last question for John. Uh oh. There's a rumor in the chat. Someone seems to remember an old story for you uh, 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 that you were telling. Chicken flu. Did you? Is it true that you Chicken. got your lady with mead? Like, is that the one that sold her on to craft beer? Or, or, or that's how you got it her to love lady you? With roofies, I mean, I'm there's sorry. There's some story that from you, not from anyone else, that they're referencing about uh, that's how you, you sealed the deal, or I don't know. Something about mead and your lady. Got is, her drunk. Is this just a rumor? Took advantage and then took advantage. No, and then she's that. like, well, I've been deflowered. Someone will go was, back into the archives oh, and find John, the clip, John. You better John. think. It's you, all rumor. No, John. Use my dancing skills. No, John. I, I, I think I, I recall something very similar. Did you really want to see me salsa? <laughs> once, once we get our clothes off after this show. Yeah. Oh yeah, wait till Saturday. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. I, I, th- I think, I think they're right. Uh, I, I think th- you I mentioned seem that. I to remember yeah. it. I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, you know the listeners. I'll, I'll tell you. That's I'm in amazing. Australia, and this guy has me. He 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 says, "Oh, sign sign the book, uh, brew that bad boy." I'm like, "Brew that bad boy?" He goes, "Yeah, you say that all the time." I'm like, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah." And like, and I thought sorry. about it for a moment. I go, "You know, you're right. I would say that sort of." I th- it, did, it did ring a bell for me too. Like it wasn't was that it that's me? how you met her, but it was. Yeah, it was no, something I, about I, that's where she accepted to- all that totally you do. Right. I don't know. <laughs> we, we we got the best go listeners of, of of anybody who listens to oh, podcasts. Wow. We we got people that you know smart. They pay attention. They're focused. They have fun. They understand that we're drunk half the time. Fair enough. They know exactly what they're talking about. So <laughs> I think you just have to accept it and say, "Come on, you're right. Come on." Absolutely no. Give, give the true story. You got her drunk. I'm drunk. I don't like, know. Well, she's passed out. Let me drop some some trowel. Let me drop some, her panties. They were both high on meat. He doesn't remember. You caught me in a lie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's a lot of people in the chat. They're real excited about the final show coming up. Oh yeah. This well, is where the mayhem begins. I think Ow. the meat show was excellent. Absolutely. Especially due to John Plisse and Ken Schramm. That was that was some quality broadcasting. We're, we're feeding uh, off I drank time. and pretty much hung out. Uh, and I think the, si- the cider show will be pretty much crap, but we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to make it quality crap. <laughs> quality crap. And if, you, if you've listened to us for the past three years, uh, I don't know, maybe you'll cry along with us as we sing oh, I've romantic, got, I've got, I've got, romantic I've got it all planned out for you, Jamil. <laughs> I've got it ready to go. <laughs> Damn! <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> Totally lost track of what I was going to say for the close here. I got all right. Thank you to our sponsor. Give me my sixty seconds, man. All right. Oh, thank you for listening for 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 nearly three years. Be sure to go to to to, uh, northernbrewer.com and let them know that you heard about them from us and that you're buying because you enjoyed the programming that they've supported for three years and uh, support the Brewing Network because otherwise this wouldn't have happened. And uh, yeah, go to the Brewing Network store, brewingnetwork.com. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to get modeling here. Yeah. This has been a wonderful experience. It's been awesome. All right. And you've been wonderful listeners. 
And uh, yeah, uh, yeah. brew some meads. Really, yeah, really brew some meads. You, you've got all Do the information. To, they'll turn out excellent yeah. if you follow Ken's instructions. By 10 East. All right. Yeah. Brew strong. Brew strong.